So there I was. I was 10 years old, and I wanted to impress my brother and my brother's friends. Now that I'm an older man, I don't know why, but I wanted to be a part of that group. I was always the little kid following the group around, trying to be in the cool kids club, hindsight's 2020. And so I always wanted to be part of that group and Halloween came. And now you're going to get a window into why Kyle and his family does not celebrate Halloween at all. If you ask my little precious boys, they will tell you Halloween is from the devil. And so I, I'm going to give you the window into this story. Why? Because there I was at St. Helens Catholic Church, 10 years old, trying to impress the group. And those guys were trying to impress the girls. There were some 13, 14, 15 year old girls and they were, you know, they're trying to impress them, how tough they were. So they wanted to go to this haunted house and I'm like, well, I'm not scared. And it was a voice cracked just like that. And so I'm trailing along this group, trying to impress them on how brave I am. And we're standing outside the haunted house and it sounds like hell is inside. So your heart, I'm not scared, you're scared, you look scared. Are you scared, Philip? You look scared, no, you're scared, man. I'm not scared. And so the doors open, the girls run. They don't even go in, but the guys are like, we can't run, we're the men, right? And so they go in and I'm like the little kid. I'm like, I guess I'll go in too. And so we get in, they hit the door. I mean, they were running through the thing. They ran through the thing. I get lost, turned around, and I realize I am completely left behind, left alone, 10 years old, in the middle of a haunted house. And this was not a haunted house like those, you know, like those ones where it's like, oh, this was like, these people that made this thing were lost. And so they were horrible. And background here, let's go back a little bit. One time, unfortunately, in the 80s, a babysitter was not vetted. And so Kyle had a babysitter when he was about six years old who allowed him to watch Stephen King's the movie It. And you could only imagine how horrible that was for little kids. And so, uh, don't play any pranks involved on me with a clown because I usually carry a 45. And so, that, and so I'm terrified of clowns. The only thing that scares me more than clowns is a great white shark. And if somehow those ever get together, I'll be pleading the blood of Jesus and shooting from cover. So I'm in this haunted house alone. And I, fight or flight takes over. And I said, I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna hide. I'm little, I can hide. So I get and I hide in a haunted house. And I think that's the best idea because who wants, and, and the, the haunted house was circus themed. So clowns for days. And so I'm, there's clowns everywhere, I'm hiding. And I'm like, okay, 10 minutes has gone by. They haven't found me 20 minutes, this is good. I can outlast these people, I'm patient. I'm patient kid. You know, I'm middle child, you know, it's not my way ever. So I can wait this out. And so I'm, I'm hiding, and so about an hour, I get an hour in, and all of a sudden, the clowns are all saying, Kyle, Kyle, and I'm like, the clowns know my name. I was okay, but now they know my name. They're coming for me. I've seen this part of the movie. This is the part of the movie where the kids get eaten, uh, and I'm just terrified. I'm talking, your adrenaline is all the way. Like, you get to the point your adrenaline is, you don't have any more adrenaline. Your, bo your body's just saying, fire more. And you don't have any more. And so there, a clown found me, which was terrifying in and of itself. And then he pulled his mask off to somehow comfort me. But it had the opposite effect. 
it had the opposite effect because somehow in my childhood psychosis, I thought to myself, wait a second, you were an evil clown, but now you're a person. Does this mean that there's a possibility that other normal people are also clowns? Like it, it was, he was trying to give security, but he removed absolute security from my life because now anybody could be a clown at any time. And so I'm terrified and, he, and, I, and I'm completely delirious and, and he's going, what's your name? Who are you? What's your dad's name? I don't know anything. I don't know who I am. I don't know my name. I don't know my dad's name. And in this dark, terrifying, scary moment, I learned this principle. In dark times, it's very important to remember who you are and whose you are. Turn in your Bible to Matthew in the 16th chapter. We're going to be looking at a time when the rabbi, the Galilean, Jesus of Nazareth, takes his small group to the scary part of town. Now, I know this is a, a relationship series, and I know it's Valentine's Day, and they asked the street preacher to teach. So what could go wrong, right? So I thought we would pick up where Jesus takes his small group to the scary part of town, because Valentine's Day can be kind of scary for some people. And so here we go. This is the backdrop here. Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, this doesn't mean anything to us. It doesn't have any historical significance to us. But this is actually a part of town that the Jews would never go into. This was a scary part of town. This was a pagan part of town. This was a place that was plagued with temples dedicated to foreign gods. And the Jews were disobedient in the past and allowed some of these foreign deities and temples to be built to come into the promised land and they were disobedient. So this place is just has a history of, of being dark-sided and temples dedicated to false gods and sex worship and idolatry and fornication and orgies and all kinds of horrible, horrendous, uh, sin city, Las Vegas on steroids. You haven't seen anything. And this is the place where Jesus wants to have a small group. Come on, come over and to my small group, guys. Can you see Nathaniel, the, the righteous one, being like, uh, excuse me, son of God, but I don't know if you know this, but we're on the bad side of town. Can you see the disciples quaking in their boots? And it's in this backdrop. It's in this dark place. It's literally, let's still bring it home to you, people. One of the temples was dedicated to the god Pan which is the basis for we get the word pandemic. You know, this season where everyone's crazy and does all kinds of stupid stuff. Sounds familiar. This is, was an ancient story, but it applies to us today. Jesus looks at his small group, his disciples, in the middle of this context, and he asks the question, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And notice the world's response. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah, one of the translations says. So the world got it wrong. And the world still gets it wrong on who Jesus is. The world will say he's a good teacher. The world will say he was a good religious leader. He's a good moral example. But who do men say that I am? And this is the only time that Peter gets it right. 
You know, Peter has that unique position in the gospel to be rebuked by all three members of the Godhead. The Father corrects Peter, the Son corrects Peter multiple times, and even the Holy Spirit has to correct Peter. And so this is one time Peter actually gets it right. He makes the great confession, as this this was what this is called, this section of scripture. The confession, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. You're blessed. Peter, you are blessed. You are blessed if you understand who I am, that Jesus is the son of the living God, that that's where God's blessing resides, on that truth, on that statement. And then he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who was in heaven. That means worldly understanding. Worldly education, the philosophies of men can't come to this conclusion that this is a revelation from heaven. That if heaven could reveal one thing to the earth, it would be who Jesus is. And notice this great truth, that when you receive a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, that he's the Alpha and the Omega, that he's God in the flesh, when you understand that, then immediately Jesus looks at the man and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for you are Peter. You see that? When he understood who Jesus was, then he understood really who he was. His identity flowed from the revelation of the Son of God. There's one thing our culture is desperately lacking. It is identity. We don't know who we are. In preparation for this message, God specifically said, just tell the church who they are in me. You see, Peter's name means rock. Something solid, unshakable, unbreakable, unbendable. But before that, he was called Peter. Excuse me, Peter was called Simon. Simon means like a a reed, something that can be bent. It actually infers something to to incline one's ear or to listen or to bend. You see that? God transformed him from listening and bending to whatever the world was saying to a rock. What voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of heaven or the voice of the world? Are you getting your identity from your culture, from your occupation, from your relationship, from your marital single status? Or does your identity come from heaven? Because we're in an identity crisis. And it's apparent. And most Christians are obsessed on figuring out what they need to do And they're not focused on who they are. And if they only realize the great truth that who you are leads to what you do, the root affects the fruit. If they understood that if they had a solid Christian identity, they would bring that into every avenue of life, relationships, marriages, occupations, careers, schooling. Tell the people who they are. But most are focused on what to do. So many don't know who they are. You need to know that 
that what you do flows from who you are. You will never know who you are until you know whose you are. Remember the ministry of Jesus. That great day when it all started, there's no miracles. He hasn't healed the blind. He hasn't healed the lame or the leper yet. He's beginning his ministry. He hasn't started his preaching. He hasn't done his healing. He's not teaching in the synagogues. He hasn't gathered his disciples. Nothing has happened yet. But at his baptism, the heavens split open. The revelation comes. The Father's voice speaks and says what? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father spoke identity, blessing, affirmation before the work. How many Christians are operating opposite? How many Christians are trying to say, trying to do the work of the ministry, trying to serve, trying to pray, trying to read, trying to do all the things? I call that the doo-doo. I do this, I do this, I do this. When you do this, it makes a mess. How many are doing all of that? They're working to their identity rather from their identity. Jesus continues this. At the night of his most important teaching, he takes a towel and he puts it around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet But before he does this, it says that he knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. He knew that he had came from the Father and he knew that he was returning to the Father. His identity was secured. He knew who he was and so he was able to serve. If you're able to know who you are in Christ Jesus, it will be the basis for a lifetime of service and honor to the King. Church, rise up, know who you are. Paul starts off his ministry with the great affirmation of heaven. He has this cataclysmic moment where the the lights shine on him on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the revelation. He can't see. And immediately in Acts chapter 9, after three days of sitting in the dark, there's a revelation that comes from the Lord's voice and says, this is my chosen instrument. This is my chosen vessel to bear my names to kings and to magistrates. And now you know why Paul could endure such afflictions and persecutions, why Paul literally walked around in trouble. All day long, Paul was in trouble. How could he endure perils of the deep, perils of his own countrymen, people abandoning him, people betraying him, people trying to kill him left and right, being beaten three different times, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being bitten by poisonous snakes. How could he endure so much? Always he could go back to and remember the voice of the father speaking an identity over him. You are my chosen vessel. Don't forget who you are. And dark times and times of trouble, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Never forget your identity, Jesus says, in his great parable of the sower. Mark this down. This is so important. Jesus' teachings say this. He says, if you don't understand this, you don't understand anything that I say. That should get the highlighters out, amen? If the, if the risen son of God says, hey, Write this down. This is the most important part. 
He says this in Matthew in the 13th chapter, the parable of the soils. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who a sower went forth to sow seed. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And, he, and let's go there. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And I want us to look here because I don't want us to miss the most important part. He says, this is a parable of sowing seed. And the seed is the word of God. He explains it for us. And it falls on multiple different types of soil. Rocky soil, good soil, thorn soil, all different types. And, and then the, the seed begins to grow. And there's birds that come that snatch the seed and there's soil that's shallow and it's not plowed up. But I want us to pay attention here. I want us to look very, very carefully on this particular verse. Verse 20 and 21, read with me verse number 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he who has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand anything else that he says. This is the most important part. And in the middle of this parable, he says that there's gonna be a group of people, hear me, this is important. They're gonna receive this word and they're gonna be joyful and they're gonna believe and everything's gonna look right and everything's gonna be good and everything's gonna be growing and things are good and growing, but immediately there's gonna be tribulation and trouble. And it says that they're going to stumble because of the word. Because why? They have no root in themselves. Most important part, they have no root in themselves. Now, my whole Christian life, I was always taught, deny oneself, crucify oneself. Don't trust in oneself. And all of those principles are true. But I never understood what it meant to have a root in oneself. I believe having a root in oneself is this. Understanding who you are in Christ Jesus. Always remember who you are. Always remember whose you are. Paul says over 170 times in the New Testament, the phrase, in Christ in Christ. So if you're looking for a, a message, a Valentine's Day message on singleness, I'm sorry, this will not be seven steps to get a man or, or how to make her notice me or what's wrong with me 101. I'm not going to do that. I want to get ahead of all of that because I believe if you have a solid Christian identity, if you have a solid faith and trust that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that means, guess what? You're okay, and you don't need anybody else. If you really understand this, this means you're okay. And this means you don't rise and fall with the encouragement or discouragement of others, because you're seated with him in heavenly places. You're established with him in love. You're born again. You're delivered from the opinions and the approvals of other people. 
And that means, because so many people, they get into relationships on the basis of this. They go, well, you know, I'm trying to find myself. And, and, and they never say that. They're never that honest. But they say, you know, and they get in a relationship and they think they're 50% and the other person's 50% is going to make 100. It doesn't work that way. It takes 100%, 100%. So my, my advice to everyone is you need to have your identity secure in Christ. You need to have that root in yourself. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. You need to know that you're acceptable in the beloved, that you're chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that you're God's workmanship, that you're a royal generation, a chosen priesthood, that you're co-heir with Christ. Church, rise up, know who you are. I think the church has done a wonderful job on the first part, describing who Jesus is. We call that Christology. We know that Jesus is the Christ. We know that he's the Alpha and the Omega. But we have done a, a poor part in telling the body of Christ who they are in Jesus. We need to know who we are. So we don't get carried away with every wind of doctrine we're not constantly discouraged. I've seen people, they have, this is the indicator on whether people have a root in themselves. It is basically, I've seen people have an attachment to their community and not an attachment to Christ. And when their community provides for them and their small group provides for them, everything's fine, everything's good. But the moment that goes away or the moment that thing shifts, well, then they're in trouble. Hear me now. A Christian is always okay. A Christian is always okay because you have Christ. And that's the great wisdom that I can give you. Take this and this alone. Paul says, I have learned in all things to be content. He says again in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content? Are you okay? Okay. 